Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Thank you so much, uh, Trudy and Britt. Hello from me. If we haven't met, my name's Mark, and it's great to be bringing the sermon. Uh, we actually got, we were here for the 11 o'clock last week, but we flew in it. We got to bed at 2 a.m. after flying in from the UK. I've been there for a couple of weeks, so it's great to be back at Red. And in praying into what I felt God wanting to say to us today, um, I looked at the scriptures and I just had a sense that there was a particular word. This is not a series. This is a particular word today that I felt God was saying to us as individuals and as a community. One of the key things that we believe in at Red is part of what it is to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of his is to take off the lenses of how we interpret the world from the world and put on the biblical spiritual lenses that he gives us. And I want to talk about one form of what that looks like today. And I want to take off the glasses of a way of looking at our lives, of looking at different seasons that God has us in, and I want to replace them with a biblical set of lenses. And the glasses or the lenses, the spectacles I want to take off is a way in which Hollywood, popular culture, has warped how we view our lives. To give you an example, if you watch movies, there is this definite thing in lots of mainstream movies where you have a protagonist who again goes through a crisis, there's something missing in their lives, and then that crisis is resolved, and you get to the final scene and they ride off into the sunset, the credits roll, the enemy's defeated, and they live happily ever after. This is particularly true in romantic comedies. Romantic comedies have warped our minds in more ways than one. There is actually an article in The Age today about an entire cottage industry that is taking off in northern Queensland around romantic comedies. They were saying how in the past you tried to make a movie like a, a movie like Sleepless in Seattle when you had like mass distribution of movies, everyone just went to see the same movie and you wanted to get as broad based the kind of movie which captures many people at the same time. But now with the internet and distribution, it's much more niche. Instead of making one movie that everyone wants to see, you now make a much more specific genre movie for a sub demographic of people. And what is happening in uh, Northern Queensland is there's now something like eight or nine movies have been shot in the last little while and all a part of a sub-genre of romantic comedies. And this sub-genre this article was talking about was busy, high-achieving executive American woman who finds an absence in her life, can't find a guy in the big city, and so through some crazy circumstances in life, finds herself in northern Queensland, <laughs> and finally all her deep existential longings are answered when she meets the answer. And what is the answer according to this subgenre? The existential void can be filled in busy American executive women in their 20s and 30s when they finally meet an Australian guy. Now, the article then went into trying to culturally work out why uh, this would be so and why would Australian guys be seen as the ultimate fulfillment of everything that American women desire. And I just thought, don't bother, it's obvious. Uh, no cultural criticism needed. Do I hear an amen from the men in the room? But the underlying message, that was very like, what am I doing here? Um, <laughs> Um, by now, uh, what, <laughs> what, what actually is the underlying message is, if you get this thing in the Hollywood movie, if you meet the soulmate, if you kill the villain, you then ride off into the sunset. When you get good stuff, it's good stuff till the end of time. And this is warped how we view our lives, and it can warp how we view our spiritual lives. It can warp how we view things like renewal and awakening. Now, to speak into this and take off those Hollywood glasses and put on biblical glasses, let's look at the scriptures. 
We're going to look at the book of Zechariah in a second, but before we put it up, I just want to give you context. The book of Zechariah is fascinating because it captures and describes the mood that happens in particular moments. And I, you rarely hear about this in the world. So the background of this story is the people of God, through their disobedience, through turning away from God, through being people of injustice, actually find themselves in exile. The Babylonians come and take over their kingdom. This is an absolute disaster for the people. The temple is destroyed. Everything they trusted in is, is, is ruined. And many of the best and brightest are actually taken away to Babylon and find themselves in exile. The whole time, they are yearning to go home again. They just want to get back. This is similar to what you see with something like Ukraine today. People who just want to go home to see their cities liberated, return to what life was. So for years and decades, they are crying out for this to end, for exile to be over, to return home and go back. This is the Hollywood ending they have in their mind. This is when the credits roll, when they can get back, and when this period of turmoil and being displanted is actually over. I'm not sure if displanted is a word, but I'll just go with it. And so what we have in the situation in Zechariah is their prayers have been answered. They have returned back to the promised land. They are back in Jerusalem. They've been freed from Babylon. They can now rebuild the temple. They can get about their business. Everything they wanted has happened, they wanted for has happened, yet it's not exactly, it doesn't feel the way that you can imagine that it would. What happens when deliverance, when good stuff happens, when the answer to your prayer happens and it's not exactly the way you expected it? Or there's heaps of good stuff, but it feels weird and conflicted and contested. I don't do pre-marriage counselling anymore, but in a lot of my pastoral ministry, one of my big tasks, if not my only task, when preparing a couple who are about to be married is, yes, this is wonderful you found each other. This is awesome. You're going to have a great wedding. It's going to be amazing. But I need to tell you that it's not like a Hollywood movie in the end. Other things come along. It's a strange feeling. When you've had perhaps an answer to your prayers, a wonderful thing happening, you enter into this strange space. And this is where Israel was when Zechariah is writing. Now, he describes this, but at the end of the book, he starts speaking some prophetic words. And in chapter 10, verse 1, he says this, and this is a real clue for us. In this sort of, what, looking at this in-between moment, it says this, Ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. Is the Lord who sends the thunderstorms. He gives showers of rain to all people and plants of the field to everyone. So in this moment of strange, getting what you want, your prayers being answered, yet it being different than what you expect, Zechariah is bringing the people of God back to this metaphor, this image, this word picture that God uses again and again and again in Scripture of nature. We have rain. We have springtime. We have thunderstorms, which release something in the atmosphere. We have showering rain. We have plants which respond to the rain. We have fields. And we have humans who live in this environment, which is sustained by all of this. If it stopped raining tomorrow and never rained again, there is a finite point where everyone on earth dies and every creature on earth dies. If plants stop producing, everyone dies. We are facing in the world now some significant food security issues. And that's with a lot of food. But what this is saying is you as a human being exist in this environment and all of these things and understanding how it works is really key. But it's not just key for our physical survival and flourishing. It's key to understand it as a spiritual metaphor. So in this weird moment where answers to prayers have happened, but it's sort of weird and conflicted, and then You've got all this stuff going on, and what Zechariah is doing is, guys, look at the picture of nature. Look at these images, rain, fields, plants. Now, we talked a lot at Red about the images that we find at the beginning of Scripture. Talked a lot lately. Just God has had me again and again at Genesis 1 verse 2, the unformed earth, the Spirit hovering above. 
And you just think about the imagery. You see it throughout Scripture of rain being like the Spirit. In fact, Scripture talks of the Spirit falling using the metaphor of rain. You have the earth willing to receive that rain. That is the moment just before creation. What is created then? The Garden of Eden. This incredible flourishing environment. The garden was the first environment humans were called to flourish in. So that's the beginning point. We then have the fall. It's like the, the Hollywood movie where, where thing goes wrong. You have the protagonist in something in a small country town, Luke Skywalker's on Tatooine, whatever happens, and then things go wrong, and then you, you go into this process. Now, we've got the garden at the beginning. We've got a fall. But then at the end of Scripture, we've got the garden city, where the garden city, the New Jerusalem, comes from the heavens and comes down to the world, and that's how things end. This is the ultimate end for all of our hopes. But what's interesting is we're not in the Garden of Eden, and the Garden City hasn't come down from the skies. What lies in between? A strange place where there's incredible things, wheat growing, but there's also weeds. There's flourishing fruit, but also thorns. Jesus comes, defeats sin and death on the cross, rises from the dead, announces the kingdom, And so the kingdom's here, but it's not here yet. The apostles filled with the Spirit, most of them are martyred. The church moves forward with power, but then other times it falls over. We are in what George Eldon Ladd called, the kingdom is here, but not here fully yet. We're in the now, but not yet. And what this means, therefore, is where we find ourselves is in between the Garden of Eden the garden city to come. And what is in between then? The work of gardening lies in between the garden of Eden and the garden city. Say it again. The work of gardening lies in between the garden of Eden and the garden city. That's where we exist. Now, gardening is one of Jesus' master metaphors on how to live the spiritual life. It's one of the best images to describe, not just spiritual life, but the whole of life and what it is to be a follower and disciple of Jesus. But to receive that, we also have to ask the question of how do we understand the work of gardening? There's a story of gardening that you see in Australian history. We see different ways in which indigenous people were in relationship with the land. How they understood the seasons, backburning, a different actual seasonal calendar to us. You see this reality that then you have European settlement. And what's interesting is the land then changes again. And it almost becomes what people are trying to do is because they feel this longing for England or Britain or whatever, they start creating gardens that look like back in England. If you go further in, in Melbourne, not even that far, five, ten minutes, you get to Canterbury, sorry, Hills, Camberwell, Hawthorne, you'll see very different gardens, roses, the trees are filled with oak trees. Interestingly, you come to sort of just here, sort of in the inner Middle East, whatever you want to call it, um, you see that actually it's different. There's a lot more indigenous native gardens. Why? Because in the 1960s, all of a sudden there was this revolution in Australian gardening where people moved from uh, popular, in the popular uh, sort of culture of gardening, They moved from trying to build little English gardens to actually, hang on, we're in Australia, let's make Australian gardens. And so you see around here less oak trees, more uh, native trees and native gardens. But there's been another change that's really worth noting. So if you go in further, you've got the sort of Englishy gardens. Here, native gardens. If you go to the edges of the city and you see the newest buildings and houses, another revolution. What is it? Virtually no gardens, tiny gardens. Why? Because there has been a change in the last 30 years in Australia where people have gotten more wealthier. There's more options, more things to do. Again, another article in The Age uh, uh, today, or I think it was yesterday, and it was was, was a a, a mum talking about she'd grown up as an immigrant family. Her parents had to grow things in the gardens. Many of you may have had parents or grandparents. My grandfather used to grow lemons and all kinds of things in the backyard. You grew stuff in your garden, not because it was cool, because you needed to provide, be, provide for yourself and it was cheaper. That was a way of surviving. Weirdly now, coming back in fashion. As I said, I was just in the UK and like everything now because of the huge cost of living crisis is all about how you can grow stuff at home. And so 
That changes, though. In this article, this, this, this woman was saying, I grew up, my parents were immigrants, they did it hard, but now my kids have everything. We had to scrounge for stuff, now I'm sending them to Singapore on holidays. And so this different change that's happened in Australia in the last 30 years is the garden is symbolic, because on Saturday, we don't want to be in the garden, you know, picking tomatoes to make into pasta sauce. Where we want to be is down the mall, down the beach, at the concert, at the cafe, at the football, kids' sport. Options, 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 options. Now, again, I'm not criticizing. I don't want to be in the garden. I'm not on team gardener. I'd prefer to be doing any of those things I just listed than actually being in the garden. But what this speaks of, that in Australia, the key, one of the key values to understand Australia, which is good, but at points can become an idol, is that Gardens have shrunk because we now place the lifestyle lens of lots of opportunities, lots of disposable income, the experience economy now defines us, and we don't want to be in the garden like grandparents or parents digging, we want to be out doing things that we dig. Thank you. That was just an incredible line that just came to me just then. <laughs> but what this means is that we can miss some of Jesus' master metaphor of gardening. And we can see the spiritual world wrongly because we're wearing the Hollywood lens, the Australian lifestyle lens, the global consumerism lens of experience, 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 chasing experience, and we don't understand gardening because many of us have actually never gardened over a number of years in any serious way. Now, third article from today's age, man, just, just give me so much today's sermon, was about a lady in Pasco Vale. And I think some of the questions around cost of living, she was also asking, asking, how do you grow stuff in your garden? And it was an article about gardening. And her name, Leela Alexander in Pasco Vale, said this. I think the trouble people have, especially when they start gardening, is they forget about it. I think that's us. Now, that's true of Australians in gardens, but I think it's true of understanding the spiritual work of gardening. She goes on, but it's like housework. Just like you try and do the dishes every day or they pile up, you try and walk around the garden. So what's the solution? We live in this, in this time where lifestyles put ahead above gardening, we understand it more. What does Leela Alexander say to us? Well, she encourages is for people to really engage with their garden, to watch how it evolves season by season. And this is key. To do the work of gardening, you have to understand seasons. Now, we are in spring here. I was just in the UK where it's going to autumn. Now, what was interesting is when we were away, normally in spring, it's like sun's coming out, getting warmer. It's, it's a whole thing that happens where we come out of the Melbourne winter into spring. It's just a change in the air. You even notice it in the community at Red. People's moods lift. But what's interesting, I was in places like Edinburgh, and I'm like, oh, it's 14 degrees and raining. I wonder what's happening back in Melbourne. They're probably sitting in the sun. I'm like, no, in Melbourne, it's nine and raining 10 times more than in Scotland. <laughs> and why? So the whole period that we were away, it was just heaps of rain, flooding, all kinds of things happening. We've got some due today, which I was hoping would just bucket down in the middle of this sermon to prove my point. But we're in a, not just in a season of spring, we're in an unusual spring. Why? Because we're experiencing the, the strange effects of La Nina, which is a meteorological phenomenon. Now, I thought I understood it. I was talking to someone uh, recently in Perth when I was there, and she was a marine biologist, and she just in 10 minutes gave me the whole lowdown, and it was fascinating and amazing, and she was so much smarter than I on it. So I'm not even going to try. All I'm going to say is, La Nina makes it wetter in Australia and drier on the west coast of the United States and America because of ocean currents in the Pacific Ocean. So we're getting like multiple once in every 500 year storms, rain, 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 more coming across Australia today. And what's happening is a strange thing. We are experiencing unprecedented rain in a country that is known for drought. I was talking to people from Europe when I was there and they're saying, Wow, we're having drought, what must it like be where you are? I'm like, no, it's the opposite. You're having drought, we're having rain. Everything's upside down. So we are in a strange, unusual season of rain in Australia that's often known for drought. But I want to look at this spiritually. And I want to say, 
We are in an unusual season. I think a bit of a springtime, but a springtime that's also characterized by rain. Again, see the metaphor of rain in the scriptures. God's blessing, God's presence, God doing good things, God healing, God coming close, God blessing his people. Why? Why are we here? Well, firstly, just the big picture. I've traveled to different countries over the years, and often what you'll find is you'll go to another country and there's something completely different going on there. You've got to adjust and get some intel before you get up and speak, get a handle. I often read the newspaper before I go of that country online just to get a handle and understand where they're at. But what I found interesting, I was at the Belfast 24-7 International Prayer Gathering two weeks ago, and speaking to people from people at places in, in Asia, Middle East, Europe, Americas, and everyone is seemingly going through a very similar dynamic. In different places, it looks different. In some places, it's all about COVID. In other places, it's all about politics. In other places, it's all about the economy. In some places, like Lebanon, it's about all of the above. And everyone is saying the same thing. The church has been profoundly rocked as society has been rocked. But what I noticed was that people said, despite that happening, there is something going on. Talking to someone from... Israel, followers of Jesus, seeing breakthroughs amongst Orthodox people, amongst Palestinians, they've never seen in their life. Talking to people in the Middle East who are seeing stuff, they're just like, this is absolutely crazy. Seeing people going, hey, our church is smaller in America, but it is so much more pressing into God and on fire. There is something profound that is happening in the world at the moment, and at a moment of crisis, Rains are actually starting to fall. You're not going to hear that on the news, but rains are actually starting to fall. Now, for us at a local level, I've just been reflecting on this. And my reflection is, and if you were here, I don't know when it was, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, we did something really symbolic. And I'm only realizing now how I think the spiritual thing that we did and the effect it had in the spiritual realm. We realized that going into the pandemic, we were very led into it by the government. There was a point where at a certain time, the federal government instigated a, a lockdown, a state government instigated a lockdown. And you probably remember when it's like eight o'clock tonight, there's a curfew and it's all happening and boom, everyone went into that together in Australia or in Victoria at the same time. But then coming out of it, there was no key point. How do you lead out of it? And what I realized, it was sort of like a weird, like, are we out of it now? What is going on? Where are we? And so we felt that we need to, we led the church into to digital church, but we need to lead out into what God has for us next. So we put down the front of the church, two gates symbolized by olive trees. We had one here, one here. And we said, at the end of the service, if you want to prayerfully walk through these gates as symbolic of walking out of the previous season into a new season, please do so. Now, to be honest, I thought this was great. I thought it was really important. I thought it was a great idea. I did not expect the spiritual effect this has had in our community. This was an absolute line in the sand moment. And the stuff that's happened since then, incredible breakthrough with people, but also really tough stuff, like, in a sense, a can being opened of, what's the word? A can of rats? What is it? Worms, rats. Rats that eat worms were opened and unleashed on us. I spoke a few weeks ago in Perth, and I had my talks planned out for this conference. And just during one of the dinners, I was explaining to the conference organizers, like, you know, they're asking, what was it like in Melbourne and the lockdown? I'm like, you know, actually, we led out of it by doing this Gates thing. And they're like, that's amazing. And they're like, could you do it here? I'm like, you were in Perth. Like, did you have COVID here? Was that even a thing? I'm like, no, no, this has affected churches here. You've had churches where a third of people left. With what I see coming from Melbourne is a much less you know, intense period. And I sat there, I'm like, I'm sort of like, to be honest, I'm doing it, I'm preaching to it. They had, luckily, they had some trees around on wheels, which was pretty amazing. And um, they put them in the front of the church, and I'm like, okay, you know, it's preached. No, I wasn't like completely ambivalent, but I'm just thinking, how's this going to go? This is Perth. Is this a Melbourne thing? I don't know. We'll just go with it. And I was shocked at the spiritual reaction in the room. Go to Ireland at this conference, share with them 
And they say, can you do it here? Again, seeing people from all over the world, walking out of the last season into the new. Something spiritually happened, I believe, for our church when we did that. Now, when I'm in Ireland, I caught up with my friend Tim Mackey, who is the head of the Bible Project with his friend John, and chatting to him and hearing the spiritual things that God had been doing in his life, like incredible deep things, particularly as he gave this teaching a little while ago at uh, the Portland 24-7 prayer conference. Actually, it was only a few weeks ago. And he was giving this talk at the conference we were at. Literally, the head of 24-7 prayer, Pete Gregg, heard the talk in Portland and said, you have to come. There is something on this. This is anointed. The reaction to this talk is, I've never known like when someone's giving a sermon and people are like, you have to hear this. Like It's transforming people. I know people have watched it four or five times, and it was just a moment at Portland. So I'm like, wow, I'm really anticipating hearing this live. I hear it live in Belfast, and I have to say, I've listened to a lot of sermons, a lot of church services, a lot of conferences in my life. That was up there with one of the moments. I do not remember a sermon, a talk, a teaching where you felt the presence of the Holy Spirit and a paradigm shift and a word in season. There are huckleberries everywhere and we don't see them. And so I'm I'm talking to Tim afterwards and in my head I'm like, how do we get Red to hear this? How could Red hear this? Red needs to hear this. And we're thinking, oh, maybe we could get him out. How do we do this? He's busy. Maybe we could show the video. I've got Advent coming up and the stuff in the new year. Maybe in March. Is it going to be even relevant then? I then get onto our, our chat uh, that we've got as a, as a team, staff team, and I go back in time and I realize that actually what has happened is Britain's gotten sick back here in Melbourne and people have watched that talk and that talk has profoundly changed people here at Red. Just on video. God made my church see that talk without me even arranging it. And thank you, Britt, for being sick to, to, to facilitate that. We had Rob Reamer here just a few weeks ago, or two, a couple of weeks ago, and he preached on Sundays, but he did a, a, a session on Saturday. And Rob, to me, is, I think, one of those people who is writing and teaching at the moment. And when I read his stuff, when I speak to him, this is not like a contemporary Christian writer Not that there's anything wrong with that. I I am one of them. (laughs) But there is something, this is almost like a deeper teaching used to read in those great old Christian books. And I come back. We were meant to be here when Rob was here, but there was a scheduling uh, mix-up with our our flight. And I come back thinking, how's it going to have gone? And what we see is there's just been profound spiritual breakthroughs for people back here. Like crazy stuff. I'm like seeing people and they seem completely different. What's happening? Rain, after a period of drought, is starting to fall. We, for a long time, have been trying to, since before the pandemic, trying to build into creating a culture of prayer. We, in faith, built a prayer room in our Orchard Grove space, and what we're seeing now is people coming to pray, and we're going to open that up and make that more accessible to people. There are now multiple people at different hours of the day and night coming and praying. I just want a question like, like, how is it that in the contemporary church in the last 30 years, we got better at worship, better at buildings, better at graphics, better at car parking, all of these different things, yet so many churches forgot the central role of prayer. And yet, here, God is building something. The prayer meetings are powerful. If you're not getting to one, get to one. Sometimes there's just one or two people there. Other times the Holy Spirit's turning up. It's not about what's happening at the moment. It's about turning up. There is rain starting to fall. There are changes I have seen in the last two years in people's lives that, that I have been waiting to see for decades, that I've seen waiting to see for, for, for years. There is changes happening in people. Rain is starting to fall. And so how do we actually look at this? How do we understand what do we do when rain falls? Because this is like, this is the moment. It's not the Hollywood, everything happens and, and you ride off into the sunset. What begins to happen is rain starts to fall in the middle of your normal life. So a few things happen when it begins to rain and when it begins to rain heavily spiritually that we need to have our eyes on. The first thing is the rain will meet two kinds of soil. Two kinds of soil. Arthur Wallace, 
In his classic book on renewal and revival, in the, thy day of thy, in the Day of Thy Power, said that revival or awakening or renewal is like rain. The spirit comes and it falls. But actually, there is a part that the grounds must play. If the rain falls on compacted, hardened soil that has been hardened by the sun, you know what happens? It just runs off. It does nothing for the soil. It is irrelevant to the soil. It just simply creates a problem of a flood or it just washes away to no effect. And what can happen is, I believe that in some ways, renewal and awakening at a big level and at a personal level is like an eagle. God is like an eagle looking for something and he swoops down at times. I believe there are times when the Holy Spirit falls on churches, individuals, groups of people, nations, and it just goes away. Why? Not because God is just disappearing. It's because the soil is hardened and the heart, maybe because it's pain, maybe because it's pride, maybe because wounds have taken over, maybe because there's strongholds, maybe because there's powers and principalities, is actually the rain comes and it just washes away. So some people in this room have had moments where perhaps you're away from church, you've come back to church, perhaps you thought you were going to have a breakthrough and then it didn't stick. And you've had these moments and maybe the rain is always coming but it just washes away because the soil is not ready. But then Arthur Wallace says that the soil that receives the rain and then this process of growing and sprouting seeds and plants takes off, there's a certain kind of soil which receives the rain. And that, so that, that kind of soil is broken up soil, soil which is turned over. Now you think a farmer can take compacted, dry, dead earth that the rain was just going to wash off. How does he or she deal with that field? They get out basically a tractor and a plow. What is a plow? A plow is a big metal thing you stick in the ground that literally does violence to the soil. It breaks it up. It turns it up. It has to break it up. If you are soiled, do you think that's a nice process? No, it is rubbish. But what it does is it turns it over. And once that soil is broken, it feels weak. It feels like it's got no answers. It feels like, oh, this is, surely this has got to stop this furrowing. Is that actually at that point, it then, it's like its edifices are broken down and it can receive the rain. I think the moment that we're in is that there has been so much breaking of the ground in the last two years, that the rain is starting to stick. The dislocations, the interruptions, it's not just COVID, it's so many other things happening at this time and place in the world means that the rain is sticking and renewals are happening in places and we're seeing the beginning of spring because the soil has been broken up. Just think about what we celebrated this week in Australia and New Zealand and many other countries. We celebrated the 11th of the 11th, when after the destruction on the Western Front in Northern France and Belgium, when the ground had literally seen hell and what was formerly fields was destroyed by armaments and, and bombardments filled with dead soldiers, dead dreams, dead hopes, that in that literal hell on earth, when hostilities ceased and peace finally came in the First World War, a prophetic thing happened in nature, is that those fields which were once stained with blood and mud then gave birth to the outbreak of a super bloom of the most vibrant red poppies. This is why people buy them and walk around to remember that moment which speaks of hope. That would have not happened unless there was this incredible breaking up of the ground. In Hosea 10 verse 12, it says this, Break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Now hear this correctly. This is really key. I look back at the last couple of years, and there's things I can't get my head around. There are people who were far from God who are now close. And there are people who are close to God who are now far. There's people who seem to have lost their minds spiritually in the last couple of years. And so it's not that the rain isn't coming. It's what kind of soil is receiving it. And I know when I've been hurt, when I've gone through suffering, when I've gone through disappointment, I can harden up as soil and create a protective barrier. 
And that protective barrier, maybe it protects me against that happening again or other people, but it's also if I just sit in that wound and let it just cauterize to it, it almost becomes concrete, that when the rain comes, it's just gonna wash away. But when I say, God, that sucked, that hurt, that was so painful, but I just again turn to you in the midst of my disappointments and, and, and pain, that's the moment when God finds a supple heart. And so when you have then rain, springtime, broken up soil, something happens, accelerated growth. You will see seeds that have been planted and seemingly unseen under the ground all of a sudden sprouting. That's prayer. We have been wanting prayer to take off a red for so long before COVID. We were just trying and trying. We had a little burst and had a Monday night, I had to stop it and different things like that. The ground has now been broken up. The rain is now coming, and there's now accelerated growth in a prayer culture. And, and I just want to pray to God that that just continues. I, I asked Trudy to share this story just before. And if you want to hear more of this, you can go back and find in our uh, podcast sermon series a, a testimony that Trudy gave called The Bog. The Bog, you know. Not many sermons called The Bog. Um, and I won't go through it all now. But for years, Trudy found herself in a really tough place. And I'm not going to go into the details now. Often racked with anxiety, often finding it hard to engage in church. And then God began to do a number of things, a lot of it through suffering. One day, uh, we were literally there. Tom, Trudy, and I were praying. And I just had this sense that Trudy had to come with me on a ministry trip. Trudy had not traveled with me on a ministry trip because if we had twins and it was just such a busy time in life. And the ministry trip was to Belfast, which is where Trudy's family emigrated from. I don't know how much you know about Northern Irish history, but Belfast is a place which has had a lot of problems. It's had a terrorist, or basically a civil war, until the Northern Irish peace protocol in the 90s. And so this was a big deal, to go back to this ancestral homeland that your parents have left. And we got there, and my prayers had been praying for a long time, seeds in the ground, praying, praying, praying for Trudy, praying for breakthrough, praying, 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 praying. And mum was like feeling like, is this going to happen? Trudy had been praying. People had been praying. Lots of seeds in the ground. And we go to Ireland and it's just this incredible moment where we get to Northern Ireland and we meet this group of leaders. We didn't know any of them. They've since become friends. And we just met them, we're at this dinner and they're like, after dinner, we're gonna do prayer and worship. And I'm like, okay. And I felt the Holy Spirit, I've not met these people. I felt the Holy Spirit saying, Mark, you have to go to bed now and leave Trudy with the Northern Irish people. <laughs> I'm like, g'day guys. Uh, you may have seen me in various romantic comedies. I'm the Australian male who often doesn't like to just say things uh, straight up front, but I'm going to go to bed now. I feel like I've got to leave my wife with you, you Irish people. <laughs> and so I go to bed and I fell asleep and Trudy just comes in at, I don't know, 11. Transformed. And then last week, we are in Belfast in the center of downtown at the big Presbyterian assembly hall, hugely symbolic building in Belfast. And I'm sitting there and Trudy is speaking in Belfast, filled with the spirit to hundreds and hundreds of leaders. Goodness me, I wasn't gonna tell this story, now I know why. <laughs> and I just thought, this was a seed that was in the ground for a heck of a long time. But when it comes to rain, seeds that you thought were buried for a long time start to sprout. And what God's done in Trudy is one of those things. And I think that's happened to others here. There's breakthroughs that people have wanted. There's stuff that people have prayed for. And at this moment, things are sprouting. There's also other seeds under the ground that you can't see that are actually experiencing accelerated growth as the rains come. So stuff that was previously seeded starts to sprout in accelerated growth. Unseen stuff starts to grow under the earth. Plants grow rapidly. We came back from being overseas in, in a two-week period, 
our trees we've been trying to grow in our backyard to block out some stuff, they'd just taken off. It's like someone had just like come down and zapped them into accelerated growth. So in times of rain, there's accelerated growth. There is accelerated growth happening in people in this congregation. It's happening in Red Church. It's happening around the world. It looks different, but it's happening. But another thing happened, that when we came back from overseas, it was like brilliant. The plants that, and trees that were trying to grow were accelerated because of all the rain Melbourne's had, but a second thing happened. There was brilliant growth in our plants, but there was also tremendous weeds that have grown that were taller than a man. And this is really key because when accelerated growth happens, we think it's just going to be all growth. We think that we don't need the work of gardening. Hollywood has tricked us that at this point we just ride off into the, into the horizon, the hero. Rise off into the horizon with your soulmate. Rise off into the horizon with everyone's respect. Whatever the Hollywood version of that is, we think that when accelerated growth happens, when rain happens, that there's not going to be any weeds. But weeds often grow faster and bigger at the exact moment of accelerated growth when God's doing stuff. Why? I took this to a mentor this week and asked him this question. I said, there is so much happening at Red. It's crazy. There's so much happening in the church, but then there's just also this ter terrible stuff happening at the same time. And he said to me, Mark, when people or churches grow in spiritual authority after a period of suffering and the rains are coming, that also the enemy will try and take that authority down in ways he won't when you're not growing in spiritual authority. You can be putting along for years, just turning up to church, social thing, hang out with your mates, you've got no problems. All of a sudden you start to have a breakthrough and then everything seems to come against you. You may have gone to Rob Rima and felt that God did something there. You may have walked through the gates a few weeks ago and felt that God did something. And then a bunch of rubbish has happened to you. And you're like, goodness me, what is happening? The enemy's word at that time is like, you didn't grow. No rain, no growth. But it's actually not true. This is why we have to understand, put on the biblical glasses of what these seasons are like. The weeds grow alongside the plants. But again, this is just the uh, Trudy praise sermon. Obviously God first, Trudy praise sermon. <laughs> Second point, Trudy had, we'll talk about this. And she said, yes, Mark. And the reason Trudy saw this was because she actually does the gardening, unlike me. She said, the good news, Mark, though, is yes, there are weeds in our garden, but I was just out there and they're super easy to pull out when there's been heaps of rain. When the soil is hard, the actual roots get stuck. But when the rain is coming, you can pull them out. Yes, they're bigger, but that gives you more leverage to pull them out of the ground. So yes, some of you had stuff come against you since some of the breakthroughs. But actually, as the rain comes, it's easier to pull them out. And God wants to go all the way down to the roots. So the good news is that they're easier to pull up. But the last point I want to make, second last point, is that also some weeds have thorns. Tim Mackey's Huckleberry Talk, if you haven't heard it, you don't know what I'm talking about, but I encourage you to watch it. But for those of you who are here, he talked about this incredible moment he had where he realized he'd learned so much about the Bible and so much about Scripture, and he went on this walk and he had missed all these huckleberries that were growing everywhere. The garden was all around him. Eden was in that moment. Jesus was close. Eden was everywhere, symbolized by these huckleberries. Now, we were having this debate because he was telling this story in, in, in the UK, and I think we just, I just learned this earlier, that huckleberries are like linked to what we would call blueberries, because I've only ever, like huckleberry fin, I'd never met a huckleberry in real life. Um, but it made me also think, and then we were sort of like, what are, what are blackberries, blueberries? We're having this whole discussion. And what you'll often see around is you'll often see blackberry removal signs because blackberries grow into these thickets and they're filled with thorns and they're an absolute nightmare to remove. So certain weeds, as you weed, will feel like they hurt. There'll be thorns in this moment. But don't let the pain and the removal of the blackberries that are growing alongside the huckleberries actually prevent you from the task there's going to be pain in this moment. The Hollywood scenario, the Australian lifestyle idol is just that everything will be sweet, no awkward, just no pain, sit on the beach, go to the mall, go to the winery, do whatever. 
But actually, when we understand the master metaphor of Jesus, of gardening, there's sometimes going to be not just weeds, but thorns, but the blackberries still need to be removed. So sometimes in seasons of God's reign, where his reign is coming upon us, we'll also have to take out some long-standing blackberry thickets, and it's going to hurt. And in one moment, you'll be crying. Another moment, you'll be laughing. At one moment, you're having a victory. The next moment, you'll be bleeding. And you know what the message is? Unlike Hollywood, it all happens at once. That is the message, people. It all happens at once. Get used to it. It's called being a human being in between the Garden of Eden and the Garden City that's to return. My final point. If you hear that and go, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, I'm going to go home and watch a romantic comedy about <laughs> a really busy New York executive. <laughs> who has to work for six months in Australia. We're the scary spiders. But there's also Bruce. <laughs> I just said Bruce because apparently that's what people overseas laugh as the uh, quintessential Australian name. Back to my bigger point. There is this moment in John's Gospel. Jesus has died. The disciples are going to the tomb. And Mary goes to the tomb. Mary, whose life was completely changed as she encounters Jesus, a woman living in a time where women can't even give evidence in court because their sin is so untrustworthy, where women live in this cloistered world. Maybe the attention of their father or a sibling, or a husband, but essentially a second-class citizens in many places. But Mary's seen something different in Jesus of Nazareth. The women are the ones who stay as he dies on the cross, the disciples scarper. But here she is, turning up to honour the memory of Jesus, but she finds the tomb empty, and then she sees someone she doesn't recognize him at first until he says her name, Mary. This is such an intimate, personable moment which shows God's love, not just for Mary, but for you. I think at that moment, Mary is all of us. The risen Jesus looks at you with eyes of love and says your name. Now, what's so interesting is there's this little line in John that you can miss that is like a theological mine to depth. To, to, it's like a, a gold mine. You just want to go deeper in and find more. It says, Mary mistaking Jesus for the gardener. Now, many medieval paintings of this or Renaissance paintings have Jesus encountering Mary and they have him wearing the gear of a gardener. The little weed cutter, the bag, the uniform of a gardener. And it's very deliberate. And I think what John's doing here is deliberate. John is portraying Jesus as the gardener. Jesus, who was at the garden at the beginning of creation. Jesus, who will return and bring the garden city. But what Jesus is doing in the meantime is you do not have to garden in your own strength. Jesus is the gardener. We are called to let him garden our lives. So we're in a season. There's rain. There's fast-growing plants. There's flourishing crops. There's big honking weeds. There's thorns. There's also flourishing fruit. And so we need Jesus to lead us, to show us how to garden our lives. Let's stand. We're going to pray into this moment. God, we come before you recognizing this season that we're in. And we recognize that you are the gardener. And we just ask at this moment for your Holy Spirit to come. We recognize that work of tending and gardening. We recognize, Father, that we stand before you. And each heart is a different garden in this room. In some places, there is soil that's been broken up that just needs the gentle blessing of your rain. Others feel that sense of perhaps I am hardened soil. Others are experiencing tremendous 
growth, but also maybe alongside tremendous challenges. Others are missing friends, family, perhaps who at this moment of the rain have just let the rain wash off and have walked away. Others are celebrating. Maybe we're feeling all of the above. And Jesus, I thank you that that's okay because we're humans, but you are the gardener of our lives. So we just pray now, do your gardening work. And I just think of those words around gardening, pruning, cultivating, tending, planting, sowing. This work that you're doing in our hearts, we just pray that it may continue. And we pray, Father, that in this season we may be broken up soil, good soil, to grow what you have for us as your rain comes. And we know that probably today there's going to be a thunderstorm and rain here. We just know that in the days, weeks, maybe years, there's going to be bursts of rain. And we just pray for accelerated growth. We pray for a different story for the nation characterized by drought. We pray for actually a story of flourishing. We pray that for our city, the garden state, may actually we not just be a garden of Fitzroy Gardens and the botanical gardens, but actually be a spiritual garden city that is pointed towards you. And God, in the quiet places, may our hearts in a time of false and faux happy endings actually point towards the ending that's to come when you return. We're in the kingdom. It's here, but it's not here fully. Go ahead of us, lead us, we ask and pray. And I just want to pray in Jesus' name that you deliver us from weeds, pests, thieves that come to steal seeds. Bind the hand of the enemy and all his co-laborers. And instead, may your angels minister to us, your heavenly gardeners. Grow us into flourishing, we ask and pray. Do your work now, Father, as we worship in your name.